This is the Huddle. This is not just, this is what we do. Every Thursday from noon to 2. The Huddle. Welcome in to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. We're going to look ahead to week three, game against the Dallas Cowboys. But first, take a very quick look back at the win over the Patriots. It was a 35-30 win. Wilson, 21 of 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns. He's now got nine touchdowns over two weeks, just one interception. Metcalf with an almost 100-yard game, 92 yards and a touchdown. Chris Carson had a receiving touchdown, also had 72 yards on the ground. Now, there were two major injuries that we need to talk about. We'll get to that you know, next when we have a Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle on. Um, but first, let's just look at some of the good stuff. Let's reflect on what was a fun win. Dave, what did you see from the defense? You know, we've, we've been harping a bit, but what did you see from the defense that was encouraging? Well, they're able to, to make plays. Now, I hate injuries. I hate when that happens, especially a guy like Marquise Blair. So that that's the thing that really bothers me. But I, I thought L.J. Collier making that last play and there was a, a lot of people involved in that including Lano Hill who we talked to on our show yesterday and then and then Bobby Wagner getting some penetration and knocking off that guard I mean but you know LJ Collier seeing him make that play that was and they did it when they needed to because they'd had some success running that play they scored on a almost stand-up walk-in touchdown uh, earlier in the game and then there was a little variation where they threw it I did this for football 101, by the way, because how could you not diagram the greatest play in <laughs> you what, have to do it. five years, right? <laughs> I mean, that was the, the final play of the, of the game, and there were so many guys involved in yeah. that. The thing that's discouraging, I guess, is the yardage. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks have given up on defense more yardage than, than anybody in the NFL, but they're, they're making enough plays, and, and the run defense is better. So, yeah, there's some bright spots, but I, I just – really discouraged and I won't dwell on it but I'm really discouraged about the Blair and the Irvin injury speaking of LJ Collier we have him coming on the show in hour two so we'll get a chance to talk to him about that goal line stop also just about his mindset uh, how he feels physically heading into year two Um, Jake what did you see from the defense and also I gotta ask you while we're talking about it about Russell Wilson's day Well, I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson had an unbelievable day, um, (laughs) near perfect. I mean, near perfect. And and was even throwing the ball away, Dave, which, you know, Russell has has received criticism for that um, or not doing uh, more of that and just really doing a great job of taking care of the football outside of the Greg Olson drop at the beginning of the game, really responding well right after that, him in the offense, uh, throwing five touchdown passes against one of the best secondaries in the NFL, a secondary that only gave up four to wide receivers all season long in 2019. Russell throws five into five different targets. I mean, that is truly remarkable. So, I mean, he was in command. He was running the show. And you had DK Metcalf step up in a huge way against Stephon Gilmore, who was covering him the entire game, uh, last year's Defensive Player of the Year. And, and Dave, how, how fired up were you to see that Stephon Gilmore got so frustrated <laughs> and so mad at DK for, you know, just taking it to him in the in run blocking and through the air that he eventually just lost his cool and tried to fight him? Oh, my gosh. And that was – I don't know how that looked on TV – but it looked like this is a bad situation. That fight was going on like 10 yards out of bounds. Yeah. And I couldn't believe yeah. that there wasn't a, a flag, but that was the first thing I thought. 
Jake, is that, oh, this guy's NFL player of the year, and the second-year guy got him so frustrated that he's in a fight with him. But, you know, you're talking about Russell. I think his first touchdown throw to Tyler Lockett is maybe one of the finest plays I've ever seen him make. He, Mm. He stepped up, he went, and he's running to his right, and he throws just a bullet across in a very tight window. And, you know, if Patrick Mahomes does that, Oh, it's on every highlight everywhere. But Russ, I mean, (laughs) he is quietly making, you know, amazing plays. I guess things that I never thought that he would necessarily be capable of. And he's just gotten better and better. And then, you know, I'm looking at Lockett. The one, you know, he has what? He was targeted eight times last week, caught all eight, targeted eight Mm -hmm. times, only one. What would you guys think about the play call there on third and one and a half? I'm saying, look, put – the ball in your best player's hands, which is Russell Wilson. And he he almost made that. Maybe Tyler Lockett's your second or third best player there. But a lot of people were complaining, of course, because it didn't work. But a lot of people complaining that maybe they should have ran it there. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough one because I can see it going both ways. And and I agree with you, Dave. In crunch time in the biggest moments, you need to put the ball in your best player's hands. And he's been playing extremely well. Now, do I love the idea of taking a shot on third and one rather than more, you know, calling a play that's for the sticks in that situation? Not necessarily, but again, sometimes you have a swing and a miss and, and that's going to happen. And not to mention that it's really hard to run the football when the defense is loading the box and playing cover zero in the way that they were. So it's not like you had this easy, clean box to run into, uh, and they decide to pass out of him. It was cover zero, uh, and, and it's it's a really tough look at it. So I, I, I lean more towards you, Dave. If, if you're going to be a proponent, which we have been, and, and I'm talking to myself, uh, if you're a proponent of you know letting Russ cook and putting the ball in his hands, then you can't be mad and flip and turn when they – put it in his hands on third and one in the most critical moment of the game. Now the slightly less fun part, but the important part, getting to those two major injuries, uh, both on the defensive side of the ball, you've got safety Marquise Blair, who's done for the season with a torn ACL. That's a heartbreaking injury for a season that was starting to look really promising for him. You've also got veteran linebacker Bruce Irvin with a torn ACL. Let's focus on, on Irvin first, because I know both of you were at camp um, both Seahawks insiders for 710 ESPN. And I know you guys both had great things to say about Jordan Brooks. Dave, I'll start with you. Um, how? What are you expecting from him this weekend? I know there's going to be some rookie mistakes in there, but but what did you see from him? Well, first of all, I think one of the things you're going to miss the most is Bruce Irvin's linebacker play. He made another play in the run game, uh, as he did in Atlanta, in a tackle for a loss that just always surprises me. I guess it shouldn't by now because, I mean, look, he was a safety at one point, and then he was a defensive end, and then they moved him to linebacker, and he was really good. He's just a great football player and, and a really good athlete. I don't think he's lost anything off his fastball. He's still as athletic as ever. So it's just a, it's a real shame. But Jordan Brooks, I mean, he's – I've not seen the rookie sort of um, – Chuck Knox used to call it a Brook Trout look. Like, huh? What? <laughs> like, you know, your eyes are open, your mouth's open. Like, you're that, – that's – I've not seen any of that Wait, from what's him. what's it called? A Brook Trout look. Brook Trout? Don't give me that Brook Trout look. I don't know. I have no idea really what it means unless you look at a trout and it's got the wide eyes <laughs> and the shocked. mouth open and just like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. So you haven't seen that from him. He's been very purposeful and, you know, he's he's a hitter, which I really like. So – 
But, you know, we'll see if he can, you know, rush the passer. I mean, I, I think probably the best pass rusher on this team right now is Bobby Wagner. I mean, he, he's yeah. he's really good. So um, it, it's, you know, maybe it's Benson Mayoa, but, you know, you got to find a way to get some pressure. And, look, they sent lots of different kinds of blitzes, sometimes zone blitzes. So it's not like they're sending five, six guys, but they'll send four or five guys from different spots, whether it's Bobby and Jamal Adams. So, you know, they're just going to have to kind of manufacture those. It's It's a little concerning. Because, you know, they gave up 397 yards to Cam Newton. Cam Newton hasn't thrown for that many yards since his first two games in 2011 wow. in the NFL. And I, he probably threw it, you know, 50 times in those games. But that's uh, the other thing was what's never been done in NFL history was three receivers have nine catches and over 100 yards. That happened against Atlanta. And so th- that's that's uh, an NFL record. So that. It's a little bit concerning, you know, as far as the defense, but I think they'll tighten things up. And the reason why I bring it up is just because of the two injuries. They're they're critical. But, you know, they've Ugo Amadi came in, played really well, had eight tackles, more tackles than anybody on on the team. So uh, looked really good. They're they're deep in the defensive backfield, but as far as pass rushers, that's that's gonna hurt. Dave, how much I mean we kind of forget that last week Quandre Diggs got ejected early in the game. How much of a factor do you think that is? for them to improve on some of those numbers that you're talking about heading uh, heading up against Dallas. Quandre Diggs is a, is 6 and 1 as a starter uh, ever since he got here and you know he started that game and then got ejected early. He's he's a huge part. I mean, I think in Atlanta I I thought he was I wouldn't say a close second to Jamal Adams, but he was second as far as the number of plays that he made. He's an amazing open field tackler. He's really good in coverage. He really knows what he's doing and I just hate that call. I hate, you know, the whole thing. It's yeah. just an accident. If it was something that you could fix and, and you know, like you can fix holding, you can fix, you know, I guess face masking, things like that. But that one, a collision and open space, everything's going a million miles an hour. It's just really tough to correct that. And, and it worries me about, you know, for him, because if that happens again, is he going to start getting fined? Is he going to get maybe miss a game? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really uh, it was really unfortunate. But I think to answer your question, Jay, I think it made a huge difference not having Quandre Diggs in there. Also, a great move by Quandre. As a side note, reached out to Harry to make sure he was okay. Um, Harry told and Kill Harry told reporters about that this week. Um, Seahawks had some big names on the injury report Wednesday. You guys, including defensive lineman Jaron Reed and Benson Mayoa, not great news. But we'll ask John Boyle for the latest updates next on the Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Joining us now is Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. John, hey, how are you? I am great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Um, I'm going to get started uh, before we ask about week two or looking ahead to week three. I'm just going to clear up. Uh, some injury information. Wednesday's practice report, um, Dwayne Brown, Jaron Reed, Benson Mayoa, and Cody Barton did not practice. Um, what's kind of the outlook for these guys? Uh, what's the impression you get from the practice report? Is there any name on here that concerns you or any that we should be overlooking? I mean, we need to wait and hear from Pete Carroll ultimately. The, the fact that none of these names other than Rasheem Green and Cedric Bowie, who missed the game, and then the guys who went on IR. None of these names were guys we saw 
get hurt in the game. I guess when Brown did, he came back. But all the rest of these guys played the whole game, finished the game. So, I mean, I'm not saying for sure it can be a problem, but generally when you see that early in the week, I just caution people, don't panic yet. Let's wait and see how many of them return to practice today. Let's see how many on practice Friday. Let's see what Pete Carroll says Friday and if they even show up on the status of, you know, questionable, doubtful, et cetera. So, you know, you don't love to see a long injury list, but I definitely always caution people don't panic just yet until we know a lot more late in the week. John yeah, sure was disappointing for Marquise Blair, certainly Bruce Irvin yeah. too. I mean, the injury is just, uh, it's, it's devastating. We saw what it did to the running back room last year, Will Disley last year, but, um, yeah, it's it's really too bad. Um, what did what did Pete have to say? I mean, as far as Marquise Blair, especially, he took such a huge step during camp. It's yeah, he just was kind of getting it going, and he really made a good tackle on that play. And yeah, it's it's going to be kind of a rough go. What was Pete's reaction to to those two injuries? Yeah, I mean, it's with both of them. You just you feel bad for the guy. I mean, they're very different stages of their their career, but one guy is just kind of finding his way. I mean. You look at what Marquise Blair did, you know, to win that job in camp and look like he was going to be a real impact player. And, you know, now he's going to have to wait till next year to make his impact. And then Bruce is a guy who came back and, you know, has had a long career and was looking to be a big contributor on defense. You know, everyone was raving about the way he was mentoring the young guys and all that. And it's just, it's really unfortunate for those guys, um, you know, especially at Nickel with Hugo Amadi. They do like what they have to to fill in behind them and you know Bruce's injury will open the door for Jordan Brooks to play so you know they they are excited about some of the guys we're going to see fill in but it is just a real shame for both those guys that were being counted on to be important parts of this defense. John other guys that were counted on to be important parts of a single play was LJ Collier and Leno Hill on that goal line stand uh, how big is that for somebody like LJ in particular to to be able to come up big in a moment like that? And uh, what was everybody else saying about it? Yeah, I mean, you hit it around that. For LJ in particular, that's such a big moment. I mean, not just because obviously he made the play that preserved the win, but this is a guy who he had a tough rookie year. I mean, you come in as a first-round pick, you get hurt, and then just he really didn't make an impact all year. He was inactive a lot. Just, it was a tough year for him. And so he's a guy that came in and had a lot of pressure on him. And he, he did a good job in training camp to win that starting job at defensive end. And so I think, you know, those are the kind of moments that can really kind of get a guy a, a good boost of confidence and get him rolling. So you hope that maybe that's just the first of many big plays he makes this year. Four separate wide receivers had uh, touchdowns last week against the Patriots. I know that we've been saying great things about DK Metcalf. We always have good things to say about Tyler Lockett. But when you look at this group Russell Wilson has this year, do you think it's one of the most talented? I think so. I mean, you go back to some of the years with, you know, when you have a healthy Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett going and then whoever that, you know, three and four options are, those, those groups are really good. But, yeah, when you talk about the overall depth and talent and variety of the types of guys you have when you have, you know, the, the big, huge guy, physical guy, you can Metcalf and kind of more a slot guy in Lockett who's just having another great. I mean, it's kind of been a quiet start to the year in terms of the attention he's getting because of DK Metcalf, but Tyler Lockett's off to a great start. You know, most catches he's had through two games to, to start a season in his career. So David Moore's looked really good. I mean, we haven't got to see Philip Dorsett, unfortunately. And now with him on IR, it'll be at least a few more weeks till we do. But I think they, they really like just the, the overall depth there and, and the way guys are emerging. I mean, Freddie Swain hasn't got to play a lot, but he's had some big moments as well. 
Yeah, you know, and I thought Chris Carson's uh, touchdown catch was the degree of difficulty was, you know, for you're yeah. not a receiver. I mean, the way he tracked that, but uh, and and he's he's come up big in the receiving game too. But uh, Boyle, I didn't know Metcalf had that in him, man. That fight with Stephon Gilmore, you, you got to. <laughs> I mean, that was wild, man. I mean, it came all the way over to the where the benches were and. You know, and I was surprised there wasn't a penalty. But, yeah, Metcalf a little fiery there, and it's good to know that he can get the defensive player of the year that agitated. Yeah, I mean, they were going out. All, I mean, the one on the sideline was obviously the one that kind of spilled over the most, and they, they went to the crowd and all that, and, or into the crowd of coaches and players, I should say. And it got a little probably more heated than either team would like it to. But in terms of just after the play, just about every play, they, you know, if, if DK was blocking on a run play or whatever it was, you know, they were grabbing each other and talking. And, you know, luckily it never got too out of hand. No punches were thrown, no flags were thrown. So both guys kept their cool as much as needed. But it, it's fun to see a young guy just not back down at all from the challenge of, you know, one of the best defensive players in the NFL. John, we get caught up in Russell Wilson's performances over the last two weeks, and, and rightfully so. Well, yeah, but... he's been pretty good. <laughs> he's been okay, right? Like he's, he's been, been all right. Fine. But, I mean, but Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde last week had pretty darn good performances themselves, and you're able to rack up 154 yards on the ground, over 5.1 yards per carry. Um, how good have those guys been, and and just how balanced is this offense? Yeah, I mean that's the thing is you know everybody's excited about Russell Wilson, understandably, but. Pete Carroll still wants to have the ability to run the ball when they need it. And to, to see them not just get the 154 rushing yards, like you said, but they average over five yards of carry as a team. You know, Russ is part of that. He, he hasn't run a lot this year, but he's run very effectively when he has. And then, yeah, I mean, Carson, obviously, three, three receiving touchdowns already has been a huge part of the passing game. But to see him get the 72 yards on 17 carries, you know, that's not a huge game for him, but it's what they, you know, needed out of him in that game. And then, as you said, Carlos Hyde, he, he was great throughout camp when Carson was away from the team for a little bit, and he, he looks like he can help them quite a bit. So it's it's a good running back group, and you know I, I don't think you're going to see them necessarily run it a ton every game just because they're throwing it so well, but they know they have that in their back pocket when they need to lean on it. Um, I know we have an opponent preview with a Dallas Cowboys reporter coming up next, but while we have you here with us, um, what kind of game are you expecting between Seattle and Dallas? I keep hearing shootout. Is that the kind of contest you're expecting? Yes, which almost makes me think because football is just weird sometimes. It's going <laughs> to be, be like 17 to 12 or something. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but I mean, you look at the way both these teams are playing, great offenses, great quarterbacks, good running games. I mean, a lot of similarities offensively. And two defenses that, quite frankly, haven't played up to their expectations right now. I mean, both teams have a lot of playmakers on defense, but – the numbers haven't been great. The you know, team has gotten the pass rush they wanted yet. So unless one of these two defenses really kind of has it all come together this week, I would I would certainly think we see a pretty high-scoring game, maybe one of those back-and-forth shootouts that comes down to the fourth quarter like the Seahawks love to play. But who knows? Football's weird. Maybe this is a game that <laughs> Seahawks get four sacks and a couple takeaways, and it's low-scoring, but you never know. All right, John. Thank you so much for joining us. I am always happy to do it. Good talk to you guys. <laughs> That's enough looking back, you guys. Uh, we're going to take a look ahead to the Dallas Cowboys. That starts with our opponent preview. Nick Eatman of the DallasCowboys.com joins us next on the huddle. 
This is the Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Joining us, joining us now for our opponent preview is DallasCowboys.com writer Nick Eatman. Nick, hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? We're good. Um, I We have to get started talking about Dallas's insane comeback last week against the Falcons. <laughs> we thought it was all over. I'm sure you did, too. I mean, what was your takeaway uh, from that? What impressed you most? Uh, that's what I love about Twitter. That's what I love about Twitter, and they actually have timestamps on. I got. I, I'm fortunate that I've got one from like I think it was twenty to nothing first quarter, and I said, you know what? I still think the Cowboys could win this game. Nick, I, those I are what they, we call they, receipts. There you go. There you go. And and the the fact that well, really the reason was was Atlanta wasn't doing anything with these with these gifts. I mean, the Cowboys are just giving them the ball, and they're not doing anything with it. You know, field goals here. So, like, there's plenty of time. They're only down 20 to nothing, as crazy as that sounds. And I just thought that there was a chance to do that. Now, when when they didn't get the two-point conversion with five minutes to go and they're down by nine, no, I didn't think they were going to win. But, you know, it's a crazy world. Crazy crazy stuff happens. And, you know, the Cowboys have been on the wrong side of games like that. So, it was good for the, for their you know perspective. It was good for them to, to to get one, and they certainly don't want to be zero and two going into Seattle. Yeah, Nick, we're we're familiar with your special team coordinator, John Fossil. Having he was uh, <laughs> actually the son of Jim Fossil, who used to be a ball boy right. when I was playing in Denver. But uh, but he, uh, you know, he had a, a fake punt that was well designed, would have worked, but it was a bad throw. And then he had the onside kick, which was bizarre. And I heard Dalton Schultz, the tight end down there, saying, "Yeah, we've been working on that every day in practice. It's never worked once." <laughs> And it finally, finally worked out. But uh, that was uh, that was one of the more strange plays I've ever seen because you know it looked like yeah. Atlanta. I think the Atlanta players knew the rule; they were just afraid to dive on it and have the ball come squirting out, and they didn't think it was going to go ten yards. But man, that worked out perfectly. That's that's what I think too. I, I believe that they they knew it, but at the same time, you know that ball is just it, the way it's just you know kind of spinning like that. And, and it, it, can you imagine what you have to do on that play? Is I, you have to kick this ball 10 and a half yards. It can't be nine. It can't be 12. It's got to be 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that's, just, that's just the weird part about the way the rules are. That's why it's so, um, almost impossible to get an onside kick. But, it, you know, it, it worked. And, you know, we, we were joking about it. You know, maybe the Falcons need to – I mean, social distancing, it only, you know, doesn't apply on, on onside kicks. I mean, you, you don't have to get away from – go get the ball. But, um, you know, one of the players, who, the guy who caught it, C.J. Goodwin, he told me that, that, that he thought the rule was that, that they couldn't touch it. So I was like, well, I don't know if that's true or not. You better – you better. John Fossil needs to realize that because, you know, you might get a situation in the next game or two where you're on the other side of that. So your players need to know the rule. Yeah. Uh, Nick, fast forwarding to just kind of the injuries that you guys have had to, you know, really overcome as yeah. uh, for for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, uh, you know, Vander Esch, uh, Sean Lee. What what is the status of the Cowboys right now in terms of the health of the team overall? Well, the the sad part of what you just said, you just mentioned four guys, and you only mentioned two positions. And if I and if I were also throw in you know, Cheeto Awuzie and 
um, you know, Anthony Brown, that's just one more position. Those are both corners. That's been the real problem is the fact that the injuries are occurring at the same position. You know, you, you've got both of your offensive tackles that are out. And really the third tackle, Cam Irving, he's also out. You've got two linebackers that, that are banged up, two corners. So that's, that's the problem is that it's really cutting into the depth. And, you know, the, the new rules of this year of expanded practice squads and, and having, you know, different rules to get guys on injured reserve and back. Cowboys are needing all of those just to survive here. So um, as for this week, I don't know. Tyron Smith, I believe, has not practiced yet uh, this week. So he's going to be a game-time decision. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he misses it again. And then as far as the cornerbacks go, you know, they're, they're banged up big time with Cheeto and out and Anthony Brown and then Trayvon Diggs, the rookie from Alabama who's played well. He missed some, some practice um, uh, the last two days with a shoulder injury. So when it rains, it pours. Uh, I guess that's a Seattle reference, but, but you know, that's going to be the case for this team with these injuries. It's really been, it's hitting them in the same spot a couple of times. Nick, just staying on the defensive side of the ball up here, we've been kind of predicting this game would be a shootout. Um, I'm not sure if you guys mm-hmm. are, are doing the same out there, but just so you can explain for Seahawks fans, what's what's the deal with Dallas's offense right now? I mean, what are they struggling with? Could they surprise us? What's it look like to you? Well, they they struggled last week of just hanging on to the ball, and that was the key. But you know, they 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 were spreading it around uh, nicely, you know, against Atlanta, trying to get back in the game, and, and they were able, you know, obviously to get over the hump. So it, it's it's kind of hard to tell after two games what what you've got on offense because when they played the Rams, you know, they, the Rams have the best defensive tackle in the league and the best cornerback, in my opinion, is Jalen Ramsey. So it was hard for them to, to, to move the ball around. Against Atlanta, they were down so big and they were just throwing it around. So um, I do expect a shootout. I expect both both defenses will, will struggle uh, with, with these offenses. But, you know, I, I just think that the Cowboys are doing a really nice job of just getting everybody involved, whether it's Amari and T.D. Lamb and Dalton Schultz had nine catches in the game. and Michael Gallup is, you know, is a big play receiver. And then, of course, you have Zeke. So I, I think that they, they've got so many weapons, and they're doing a good job of utilizing all of them. Nick, tell me about Dak Prescott. I, I've always loved Dak Prescott. And, and I saw a comparison on the, uh, on the broadcast that the first four years, I mean, here he is a fourth-rounder. And Matt Ryan was like the third pick of the draft, and yet in his first four years he got better completion percentage, uh, better quarterback rating, better touchdown to interception ratio. What kind of what kind of a leader is he? And uh, and is is he as good of a guy as as he seems to me anyway? Well, uh, yeah, I think yes to all that. He's actually talking right now, right right as we speak. He was he was doing his interview, and so. Uh, and I ran back in here on my phone, so I, I'm missing what he's, he's talking about today. But I, I mean, I'm sure I can get it in a little bit. But he's 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 actually really insightful, you know, with the media. He does he does a good job of telling just enough, but not, of course, too much. Um, as far as far as like his leadership, I think that's his best quality. I mean, he he is a leader. He he these guys will, will go to war uh, with him and for him, and so you know he that's. I, I love Tony Romo. I, I, I you know, I loved him, but I think I think this team missed that a little bit. Romo wasn't exactly the same locker room type guy as Dak is. Dak's more about with the guys, with the players. You know, invites them to their house this offseason. Created a whole backyard. His whole backyard is a football field, and they, they created that this year. And so they were able to kind of work and do a lot of routes 
things like that. The camaraderie that he creates is, is really outstanding. Um, you know, numbers wise, yeah, he's 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 got them. You know, they're all there. He runs the ball as well. Um, I just think for him, just ten point accuracy. That's probably one of the reasons he was dropped into the fourth round. And you know, they they didn't they didn't think he would be this. You know, have the it factor the way he does. But I think there are times where the accuracy kind of gets the best of him a little bit. And, you know, I wouldn't say that's been his downfall because he's been, he's been great. But, you know, he, he doesn't have that precision that some of the great ones really do. But he's, he's right there, and he makes up for it in other ways. By, by I call him a linebacker playing quarterback. All right. Nice. Nick, very last one. I'm going to pit you on the spot. Sorry in advance. Make you <laughs> give us a score prediction. <laughs> Man, I haven't really – I. Got, I told myself last week, I told myself I wasn't going to be doing any more predictions in the middle of the week until Friday because, well, guess because what? you know, all these injuries <laughs> happen and all that. And then I didn't expect to be put on the spot here, you guys. But I I don't know. I, I, I'm going to ride this one out with the Cowboys. I think right. that the, I, I just think it's, it's one of those strange leagues. Where I, I see them both being two and one, I really do. I, I think I think you know Seattle's kind of been living right a little bit, kind of got obviously fortunate to, to win it, that that game, even though they were they were dominating that game. Uh, still, it came down to to the end. I can see the Cowboys using the momentum from that first win, uh, and also, I mean, also just going to Seattle like it's not going to be the way it was. I mean, like that's that's. That's one of that's a break. If you want to call that a big break for the Cowboys, getting to go to Seattle and not having the same type of fans that it's always been. So I'm not even sure they have fans at all. Like, or is it no fans? No week? fans. No fans. No that's, fans. I mean, that's that is a huge difference from from what you know. The, usually, when you see that on the schedule, it's like, oh man, yeah. you got to be ready for that. And, and and Russell Wilson and that group is going to be tough enough. I'm gonna go with Dallas. Sorry, long. All right, all right. I'm gonna go with Dallas. Forty-two. <laughs> 33. All right. Way to stick to your guns, Thanks Nick. for being a good sport, People in Nick. Seattle are cursing you, but you stick to your guns. You're worth your salt. You're a DallasCowboy.com you. guy. <laughs> you got to pick the Cowboys. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I, 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 I don't always pick the Cowboys. I, I, promise <laughs> you, I don't. I don't always pick the Cowboys, but, you know, I'll be flying up there. I'm on the I'm on the charter with them. Oh, this nice. We're, we're kind of doing this together. Yeah. All right. We'll so, see you uh, up I'm here. You. All right. Well, I'll I'll be there. I don't know where they're going to have me. I don't know where. <laughs> in the Rams game, I was in a suite, the nicest suite you've ever seen, by myself. It was it was so awesome for about five minutes, and I'm like, this sucks. Like I just couldn't. I was boring. I mean, there was no TV. There's no replay. I, you know, it, it was it wasn't it wasn't the sweet life. But, Hopefully, it's more um, fun you this time would expect. <laughs> No, nah, it'll be great. It'll All be right. Great. Have fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. All right, Pete Carroll, you guys, this is get ready for this. He's been impressed with one position group quite a bit more, the offensive line through two weeks. We'll ask Seahawks pre and post game show host and former O lineman himself, Ray Roberts, what he's seeing next on the huddle. This is the huddle every Thursday from noon to two on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Joining us now for his regular In the Trenches segment, Seahawks pre- and post-game host and former O-lineman, Ray Roberts. Ray, how are you doing? What's happening? How are you guys doing? 
We're good. We're good. Um, let's see. Where do I want to start? I'm going to start with Brandon Shell. I, I I almost want to take a look at like each of the the new players here. Um, just while we have you here, an actual insight from a former O lineman. So, what have you seen from Brandon Shell so far? When I hear Pete Carroll, he sounds impressed. Um, but what do you see on the field? Uh, the thing that I see in Brandon is exactly what Pete said uh, at the beginning uh, when they when they first signed him. One thing is. He's a, he's the first dude you want off the bus because he just he looks the part as Pete says. But then also he has just been consistent. Like uh, uh, his footwork has been consistent. His his uh, pass protection has been consistent. You know if there's anything I think the as a, overall the offensive line has lacked a little bit of chemistry due to, to due to just not having enough reps together. So there's been times where. Uh, um, he and the rookie Damian Lewis will be on a different page on their double teams or on how they're switching games. Uh, they've seen a lot of uh, line stunts, especially from the from the Patriots. I think the Patriots were really testing that side of the offensive line with all the different looks and and stunts they were having. And for the most part, uh, the the two of them have held up really well. So I've been really impressed with uh, Shell because the one thing is that. You know, we, we haven't heard his name. And so mm-hmm. as an offensive lineman, when, when, when they don't hear your name, that's usually a good thing. But because uh, most of the time when they hear it, it's for penalties or, or, or things that have been uh, negatively impacting the team. Hey, Ray, I wanted to ask you uh, from the standpoint of an offensive lineman, the last play of the game, because I know on the postgame show you talked a lot about Bobby Wagner and, you know, how – disruptive that is when you get you knock a guard off or you know you just cause any kind of disruption in the run game it's how key that is and how you know when the offensive linemen can't get to their assignments or you get you know penetration like that it it just blows a running play up yeah so you know obviously i've learned this thing from to me the greatest offensive line coach in the history of the nfl and that's uh howard mudd so a lot of my perspectives and and viewpoints of offensive line play come from Howard. And his one big thing about the running game is that we, the offensive line has to win the first six inches uh, off the line of scrimmage. If you, if you can get your heels across the line of scrimmage uh, with your defender, most of the times you're going to have success on that play. Conversely, if the defense gets to six inches, you know, across the line of scrimmage, then they're going to have better success. And so, uh, you, the the worst thing to a running game is to have someone penetrate the line of scrimmage because then the runner has to uh, either bounce to the outside or make a cut sooner than he wants to make a cut. The 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 uh, the hole and the the lane that you're trying to run in doesn't develop. So on that particular goal line play, uh, because before the the defensive linemen were just lined up where they were and the offensive linemen could just tee off on them. And then they were getting a good push, and the and the, the uh, backside guard was pulling and just leading Cam right up in the hole. On that particular play, uh, whatever whoever you know came up with the idea of whatever the play call was to slant the the defensive line is what made all the difference in the world. Because then the the uh, the offensive line thought that hey, this dude is right in front of me. He's been right in front of me every other time we've done this. So I'm just going to fire straight off at him. And when they did that, the line slanted away from him. So it, it gave. Uh, um, LJ a chance to get the edge on the tackle that was blocking him, and then uh, and then like I said, Bobby Wagner on the previous plays he kind of played over the top or he was a little bit slow, like uh, uh, running to that backside gap to to impact the pulling guard. But on this particular play, he re- he went right now and just got right into the hip of the guard. So then that guard had to stop 
and take on Bobby, which then allowed that penetration by, by Hill and LJ Collier to be even more impactful. Ray, you talk about not hearing guys' names. A guy that we actually have heard his name over the last two weeks is Damian Lewis for different penalties and things of that nature, um, <laughs> obviously being a rookie. But he has played outstanding, Ray. I've been so impressed with him and just how smart he is, his athleticism, all of that. What really stands out to you about Damian Lewis so far that you've watched him in these two weeks? Yeah, I watched him pretty much. I didn't. I, I pretty much watched him every single play uh, for the um, uh, the Patriots game because I was interested to see what Bill Belichick was going to try to bring to him to try to distract him or get him, you know, get him confused with the different looks. I mean, he was. They had DBs lined up over him. They had defensive ends lined up over him. Tackles, linebackers, and then they were moving all over the place. And the thing that I was impressed with was his ability to handle all of that. So obviously he had his negative plays. There was one play where uh, a defender slanted inside, and I think he thought he was passing off a game, but the defender was just rushing inside, and that's that's when he gave up the sack. And then the holding calls, uh, you know, like you know, you and I will agree uh, that uh, those those are rookie things. You know, I noticed it in his film right after he was drafted, and one of the scouting reports I'd said about him was that he tends to be real grabby with his hands, and those are going to turn into holding calls in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And uh, And so far... They have, but that's not because he doesn't have the ability. It does, it's not because he's not smart enough. It's not because he's not good enough. The dude is playing outstanding football. And uh, for a rookie to jump in from day one, like like uh, Pete said, and never look back, and then to be able to face a defense like the like the Patriots and a mind a defensive mind like Bill Belichick, and and pretty much come out of it, you know, I would say with a you know with a a, a very high grade in the way he played. I think that says a lot to to the type of player. He is. I think someone uh, may have tweeted out, and I'm not real sure that uh, that he has the looks of maybe the best offensive lineman that this uh, that Pete and these guys have drafted. Wow. And uh, and I wouldn't disagree with that without looking back and seeing who else they drafted. But I really like the 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 way he plays. I like the nastiness that he has. I like the way he tries to finish every block. I love his athleticism. Uh, I love the way that he hasn't even let the holding calls impact him. You know, like with a Fetty, you could see his whole yeah. It's a good point. Kind of dumb, you know, when he when he got a penalty. And with this guy, he just lines up and goes to the next play. Mm. Uh, Ray, uh, one question that I, I really wanted to get your perspective on is: as an offensive lineman, what is more difficult to handle? A really elite four down rush? Or a group that's really dynamic in their blitzing schemes. Like what? What? When you go to uh, prepare for a certain week, it's like, man, we got to go up against this style. What? What style really uh, was more difficult to you when you were playing? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take um, the dude right in front of me. That I'm gonna take that as the easiest job every time because because you can put a lot of study into to what he does and how he does it, uh, and and you get more reps to kind of to kind of make sure you know what he's doing. But when you play teams, I remember playing teams like Pittsburgh back in the day, and they do all these different exotic, like, zone blitzes, and you didn't know – you knew they were going to bring four guys, but you never knew which, who the fourth dude was. Then it really relies a, a lot. Sometimes they can just beat you on lack of communication. And so then – so if you're not communicating things, you're not pointing out the right – who the middle linebacker is, who the fourth rusher is, uh, it's, re- it's real easy to get beaten just by the scheme. And so then that becomes frustrating because the, the the team didn't physically beat you; they they just out schemed you in that in that situation. And so I've always, as a player, would re- much rather go against 
uh, for, you know, good pass rushers because you kind of know what they're going to do and you can kind of lock in versus trying to go against a team that has some really good uh, blitzing schemes because it's just kind of hard to figure out where people are. And this, in this environment, it might be a little bit easier because you don't have all the crowd noise so you can communicate a little bit better. But, uh, but when it's loud and you're trying to point people out and you can't hear and you're concentrating on the snap count and you're trying to get your reads and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden your guy drops or slams and the safety comes or the, there's a linebacker, you know, double blitz or something, it's like that becomes a little bit confusing. You can hear Ray every week on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show and every week right here on the huddle. Ray, thank you so much. We learn something new every time. Hey, well, thanks for having me, and uh, I hope that I can supplement some of this stuff with some video. Uh, I just got to figure out a better way to set my video my that video deal up. would be awesome. <laughs> Fans would absolutely love that. I know. I would certainly like it. All right. Thanks, cool. Ray. I'm All right. All right. Uh, Dave, we're going to yes. be bringing in your co-pilot here. Uh-oh. Yeah. Seahawks play-by-play man Steve Rabel joins us next on The Huddle. This is the Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. The Huddle. Welcome back into the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost joining us now. The voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Rabes, how's it going? Guys, how you all doing on this uh, rainy Thursday? It's disgusting out, but I think we're all feeling pretty good. Uh, I'm yeah. going to get started with. I always have like a favorite call of the game. Um, but I, I have to ask you how you were feeling in that final moment, that goal line stop with three seconds left. I mean, what was that moment like for you? Well, you know, we've, and tell me if I'm wrong, haven't we seen this before? I mean, haven't (laughs) we seen the Seahawks games come down to the final play or the final two plays and they seem to find a way to pull it out. I got to tell you, it was, it was pretty uh, stressful there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, they had gone to the well how many times on that play. You just almost knew it's going to be Cam something, either run or the run pass option. Uh, and, you know, rarely are they going to just hand the ball off deep in the backfield. That's not what they do. That's not what Cam does. So, you know, you kind of looked at it uh, hoping for the best, and, and here comes uh, the defense up. Bobby gets them to slant, and LJ makes a great play along with Leno, and then Bobby over the top. and. Um, you know, you couldn't ask for anything more, um, but it, it was it it was certainly exciting. Yeah, Ribs, I I didn't think they were going to stop them. I really didn't because uh, right. you know, that the one play they like <clears throat> they ran variations of the yeah. same thing basically. But yeah, it it seemed like and the the thing that was such a shame and Pete said it afterwards. Where do you think that uh, the noise level would have ranked? Oh. I mean, that ha- would have had to have been up there with like Beastquake, you would think. Oh, without question. Uh, we, you know, we'd have been, our ears would have been ringing for, you know, three or four days uh, after that. Um, yeah, and it, it, and yeah, I can, I can almost picture the players, you know, kind of running and, and high-fiving with all the folks there in the north end zone stands and in those suites. Uh, it, it would have been just, just such a great moment. It was a great moment as it was, uh, and, you know, just the way the players reacted both on the sidelines and on the field. Um, you know, you remember games like that, Dave. You you probably played in a game or two like that that came down to the very last play, whether it was a goal line stand or not. But those are games that really stand out, and I think I think that's something that 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 Pete will really teach on for you know the rest of the season. And that is, listen, you guys 
you see what you can do when you put your mind to it and when you do your job, even on the last play of the game. And and uh, I, I, who knows, but maybe we'll see more of them this year. I hope not quite that taxing, but I hope we see some more big finishes this year. All right, Rabes, you were there for this one too. 1990 at Kansas City. Dave Craig oh. ducks the, what, eighth or ninth sack from Derek yeah. Thomas and throws to – that was that was one of them. That was maybe the without the best. without question. And I was not doing play by play at the time. Pete was still doing play by play, but I, you know I almost came unglued uh, at there at uh, at uh, Arrowhead Stadium. It, it was it was you know as great a comeback and as great a finish down that stretch when they needed to have some plays made. And Dave, you know Dave, when he got a hot hand, oh. um, I, know, I know Thomas sacked him, what, eight times or seven times in the eighth, had him around the ankles, uh, and then there's Scans just finding that little open spot. Uh, you know, the best story about that whole weekend, I think I've told it to you guys before. The After bar? we go to the airport, we <laughs> got delayed leaving the airport in Kansas City. And so we all went into the bar. Almost all the players went into the bar there at the terminal in Kansas City. And a few minutes later, here comes Pete. Uh, here comes uh, Chuck walking in, yeah. and everybody thought, "Oh, it could be trouble." Chuck walks over and hands a roll of bills to the guy behind the bar and says, "I want you to take care of my boys." Yeah, and by the way, the plane was delayed because we were all in the bar, not because oh, there was a delay. Was? Yeah, oh, well. and I thought Chuck was. Gonna, that's a good reason, right? I thought Chuck was going <laughs> to kill us. I mean, he had those steely blue eyes looking at everybody and. Pulls out like three hundred dollar bills. Right, right. Yeah. We drank everything except the cleaner under the sink. <laughs> That's right. I, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing day. Just you know, and how long it had been since since the Seahawks had won there? Uh, and they you had know, not won there in the eighties. Had not right. won in the eighties, or I think, and that was nineteen ninety. So yeah. And you know, he was always uh, you know pretty superstitious. We'd stay someplace different at a hotel right. if we didn't win the year before. So I mean, we stayed everywhere but the YW. <laughs> WCA in the eighties for crying out loud. <laughs> Rabel, what was what was one of your other favorite moments from the game as you're watching it and calling it? Um, what else stood out to you uh, outside of that goal line stand? This yeah, this weekend. Um, well, you know, being an old and I use that word advisedly, old uh, receiver, watching DK continue, uh, you know, to just amaze. Uh, and literally run roughshod over arguably the best, you know, one of the best two or three cornerbacks in all of football, and the Seahawks passing offense to literally slice up the defense of the New England Patriots. That team is built from the back forward, and they had a secondary that could go seven or eight deep with two or three pro bowlers back there, guys who are special teams pro bowlers who can also sub in as defensive backs uh, in a pinch. Uh, and they, you know, they had some very active linebackers and the rest, and Russell just carved them up. Uh, I, I think that was the thing that really stood out to me. Um, uh, he's playing on another planet right now is Russ. And, and for heaven's sakes, don't anybody wake him because he, it's, it's amazing his ability. Yeah, and you're a quarterback, Jake, you know. His ability to read, react, decide, and get that ball out of his hands. He seems to be doing that mm-hmm. better than I can ever remember him doing it. And even when he holds it, he's holding it for a purpose, uh, to give that give his receiver one extra step. So 
Um, I, I think that part has has been nothing short of amazing. And and DK and you know Tyler very quietly, uh, you know another seven or eight receptions. Uh, they're just they're really playing well right now in the passing game. Steve, you're at this point now of the week where you're really starting to prepare and getting ready for for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. What is something that stood out to you about the Cowboys in this matchup as you're uh, preparing to call this game? Well, uh, you know, I like the matchup that we have right now. What are we, number two in the league against the run? And the Cowboys will always want to run the ball first, and that's because you got Ezekiel Elliott back there, and he's one of the best in the game. Uh, I love that matchup, even though they don't – aren't on the field at the same times, but Ezekiel Elliott and Chris Carson, I mean, two battering Rams, two guys with speed that can get outside, two guys that can catch the football, two guys that, you know, you're, are, are the bell cows for their offense. Um, I think that's, that's going to be a game in a game and I, I'm going to love watching that. Uh, but you know, when you talk about some of the, some of the other parts Dak Prescott is a heck of a quarterback, and, and he's proven it. What, he rushed for three touchdowns last week and threw for another. He's got a big arm. Now, the plus is for us is over the last three, four games that we've played him, I think three games we've played him, he's thrown us five passes. He's thrown five picks. So he can be, if he is pressured, he can throw that ball up, and it can be a little bit off target. And if our guys are in position, I think we've been in position for, what, three or four interceptions and, and haven't done it yet. But Amari Cooper, God, as good as there is out there. Uh, Lamb out of Oklahoma, guy can fly. I'm glad Witten is no longer there because he was that uh, security blanket, uh, six yards and a cloud of dust and another first down. I mean, he was that guy, so I'm glad he's not there. And then Dak Prescott. I mean, he's a leader. He can run the ball. He's, he's, a, lot, he's a little bigger than Russ, maybe a lot bigger than Russ, but he can do a lot of the things Russ can do. Not as accurate, certainly. Doesn't throw the deep ball as well, but he's a competitive guy. So it's a really, I think, pretty evenly matched game. Raves, thanks so much for joining us. Dave will see you Sunday. Me and Jake yeah. and Dave will talk to you next week. Uh, okay. All right, enjoy the Guys, game. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. See you Sunday. All right, Rabes. <laughs> Take care of your voice right. between the golden pipes. I'm Freedom not right. going to speak yeah, again until Sunday morning. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, guys. See you. Dave's got a fun question for us and the listeners next, and then we'll take a closer look at these two offenses. That's next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back in to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Dave. Answer the question, Jake. Who's the best coach you ever played We're against? Do this right now. <laughs> During Dave, the... stop yelling at me. Welcome okay? back to the huddle. Gosh. Welcome back to the huddle. Okay. During the break, we were having a fun conversation. <laughs> I got two former players on here on the huddle. Former quarterback Jake Heaps, former linebacker Dave Wyman. I asked Dave, who's the best coach you ever played for? Yep. And then... Tom Catlin. Tom and... Catlin was my answer. Exactly. Defensive coordinator. Awesome guy. Uh, not a lot of personality. Took me about two years to get to know him, but, but then he was. You appreciated him. I totally appreciate him. He was a pros pro, like coach. You just want to hear the truth. You don't want any of the BS that goes along with it. And he was very dry. I was telling Stacy that it, it looked like if he ever smiled, that his face would crack. <laughs> um, but he he was the most knowledgeable, best, consistent. And that's what you look for, Jake. You look for consistency. So, and your yeah, answer was Jake for your best well, coach. My, that you well, played Pete for Carroll. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll now. easily would be that guy. But if I was to go who coached me specifically, 
I would probably say uh, Carl Smith, who was the quarterback coach here. Tater. Tater. Uh, yeah. Tater, man, he was the best. In terms of, like, quarterbacking is such a cerebral position that sometimes and oftentimes you get coaches that try to make you overthink. And he was just the chillest guy. He was awesome. You got um, and simplified the game. You got Wyman shaking his head a bit. Oh, I'm so cerebral. Oh, it's I'm very cerebral. Jake, no, how cheap. about the best coach that you've played against? <laughs> Come on, Jake. Uh, don't the best coach that I've don't disappoint against, me. Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo uh, Fisher. <laughs> I thought you were going to say me, man. Of course, you know, you shredded us for like 400 yards every time you played against when I was at Lake Washington and Interlake. Most intimidating coach? Yeah. I, I mean, you're looking at Dave Wyman over there on the sideline. You're going, who the heck is that is NFL player? Is this guy going to fight me after the game? Is this guy going to come on the field and take me out right now? I'll tell you what. Dave Wyman, most intimidating. All the guys I coached, I was probably the one that would could possibly do it. None of my players could do it, but... Yeah, Jake just had his way with me, Stacy, and it was. He had uh, your number. Yeah, it he was tried ugly. to confuse me. He tried to put out all sorts of coverages out there. It didn't work. Just didn't, it all just worked did out in the work. end? Here we are now. Um, I do want to preview these two offenses. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a moment. First, I do want to ask. It's a very fun question that you asked us, Dave, and I'm ready with all of our answers. Your question was, which two active NFL players? Would you essentially be stuck on like what, like a six-hour flight with? I mean, think of like a long flight. You got to be stuck with two guys for six hours. And I know the rule was no Seahawks, but one of my picks was a Seahawk. Yeah, I said DK Metcalf and Stephon Gilmore, and we're not getting off this plane. And you'd have to sit in the middle. Exactly, we're not getting off this plane until we make up and we're all friends again. <laughs> Jake, <laughs> what are yours? Well. Shocker, it's going to be two quarterbacks, but I'm going to go with two very unique quarterbacks. Uh, Gardner Minshew, first off, first of all, uh, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I had I had Fitz as uh, one of the quarterbacks when I was in New York my rookie year, and that guy is hilarious. He is so fun to be around. You can talk to him about a million different things, uh, and he probably, by the end of it, teach you how to solve a Rubik's Cube. So I, I think that would be pretty fun. <laughs> well, mine were, and I thought it was topical, but because one is the quarterback we played last week. The other one's the quarterback we're going to play this week. I don't know why I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Dak Prescott. I mm. just like him. And then when he his brother died, and you know he had him do those chunky soup commercials, which you know they came to him and said, we want you to do this. And he's like, I, I want my brothers involved, which yeah. I, I love that about him. And then, you know, he went through a hard time when one of his brothers died and everything. But I've just always like the guy's a fourth round draft choice. And I was talking earlier with uh, Nick Eatman at Cowboys.com that, you know, you look at um, who they played last week. Uh, Ryan, Matt Ryan, he was the third pick overall. And he, Dak Prescott has better numbers than yeah. in almost every category except for wins. But you know, that to me is, is very impressive, and I've just always liked him. And then the other guy, just because I think he's so odd, is Cam Newton. <laughs> I, I just think, I, I just would love to know, week like, two and week three. <laughs> what makes that guy tick? Like, what, what is he like? Because, you know, off the field, he has his style of dressing, and then, you know, and he's said some things that were, you know, buffoonery. But, I mean, he's he's been, you know, a pretty solid guy and he threw for a lot of yards i was really impressed you know how his his arm and and what he did the other day but i just think he's a very interesting cat like yeah he's a guy that sometimes seems like he's 
thinking about other things, and then there's sometimes where he can kind of pout a little bit, and then he's a tough guy. I mean, he he doesn't react too much to, you know, Jamal Adams shoved him down the other day, and he just got up and walked past him, and Jamal was kind of yapping at him, and he didn't say anything. And so, yeah, I just think it would be interesting to, to see what makes uh, that that guy tick. But but Prescott as well. I mean, it's – yeah, what, Text it in. Do we have a we have seven ten seven ten? Yeah, the two most, guys? most popular answer. Larry Fitzgerald. Since there was the no Seahawk role, Larry Fitzgerald, I think, is one of the most popular ones. I think he's just so. There are so many guys in the league that are just so universally respected. Yes. Larry Fitzgerald's one of he's, those guys. That's a good where good you hear. I mean, when players are mic'd up, I've listened to you know the Seahawks mic'd up when they play the Cardinals, like. Guys are talking to him before and after the game, during the game. He's one of those guys that, like, you knock him down, then you help him up. I mean, yeah, I just met him. Most respect. I met him at Super Bowl Forty Eight, and we did radio with him. And I'll never forget after we did it, the the whole thing. I saw him at halftime, and uh, and the Seahawks had just, I think, Percy Harvin had just returned the the touchdown, and he comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, do you guys get rings?" <laughs> Like he was earnestly asking me this Genuinely question, curious. and I, I was like, "Gosh, I sure hope not." <laughs> I do the pregame radio show. Did I mean, you? Uh, no, oh, no, okay. no. I, I, I didn't <laughs> think that they should. I think you, you give them out to too many people, it becomes not special, you know. But yeah, so he is like one of the nicest guys too. That's a great answer. Larry Another Fitzgerald. popular answer has been Gronk, and then even though we have the no Seahawks rule, I will allow it. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, yeah. Marshawn. If he's talking. If he's talking. Yeah. He can he can be yeah, a fun if he's, guy. If he's in the mood. I did see Marshawn, by the way, you know, this was last year. I was on an early, early flight to Atlanta, and Marshawn all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just comes walking by me uh in the terminal, uh just just to get on the same flight as as me. But he was just hanging out just with everybody else and I'm just sitting there, and I'm wondering how many people do they realize that this is Marshawn Lynch hanging out here? Hmm. Uh, but just fun to see him riding, you know, just like everybody else on, on commercial there, early flight in the morning. Those are good answers. Yeah. All those. Yeah, those are all really – you got a, a good clue in on, like, who the fun personalities or, or really cool, interesting personalities in the NFL Luke are. Wilson, I'm sure oh, people would say. Yes, too. Luke Wilson is, is on here. Um, all right, I'm going to table the – offense conversation although i do want to see if we can get to that what we're going to do instead you guys seahawks practice is wrapping up we're going to try to grab lj collier off the field talk to him next we got to ask him about that goal line stop we have to know everything that went on in that moment i cannot wait to hear about it and then we'll see if we can uh grab jacob hollister as well for our final segment so uh first collier and then hollister so don't go anywhere this is the huddle This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Joining us in just a moment will be second-year defensive end LJ Collier, part of a big goal line stop in the win against the Patriots. Let's go back to that moment. Now, from my point of view, I was watching from the press box. It was very far away. I couldn't really tell what happened, and I wouldn't have known that there was a stop Obviously, had I not seen Cam Newton swinging in the air and then an almost immediate celebration from players. Uh, Dave, what did you see specifically on that play? Yeah, well, first of all, Cam Newton ended up entirely upside down. Yes. And uh, football one-on-one's coming out here in, in a second. We had some delays uh, this week, but I diagrammed that play, and then we kind of took 
a look at some still shots, you know, pictures of it. But the first thing that happened that wasn't really obvious right away was Bobby Wagner. And we found out later that they slanted him, and it was a good thing they did. They slanted the offensive line to the right because L.J. Collier was lined up a little bit almost inside of um, the tackle on the very end, who was actually a tight end that reported eligible, who was a big tackle. And luckily they slanted him, and he fought across that. He fought through a hold, and he made a play there. Uh, Lano Hill made a really good play. But Bobby jumped through a gap and knocked off the guard. And so we talked to Ray about that earlier, that anytime you get penetration um, then in a run game, it, it kills the play. So you had, you know, Lano Hill and – you know, on one side and Bobby Wagner on the other. And those two guys entirely took, not only took away going inside or outside, but it also just constricted the gap down to just a real narrow little hallway where Cam Newton could run. And then, you know, LJ Collier just makes a brilliant play by getting off the hold, which offensive linemen hold. I always tease Ray about this, but <laughs> he was trying to hold him and, and he just fought through it. And, you know, when I got in the NFL, my coaches would say, and Tom Catlin was one of them who we were talking about earlier, He'd say, don't ever come and complain to me that you got held because, you know, you need to take care of that. Holding is legal in the NFL, and so you need to figure out how to how to overcome it. And he did on that play. He wasn't going to be held. So it was just a really good play for him. And I'm, I hope we get a chance to talk to him because I'm so happy for L.J. Collier. I, I just think I had a very similar experience my rookie year where I only got in on like three tackles. I was injured. It was terrible. I had a bad year. I came back my second year. And everything just opened up for me. And uh, that's what you're seeing from him right now. He's made a number of plays. It's not just that play. Jake. Dave, I, I, my, my question to you becomes, with this group on, on a pass rushing standpoint, are we seeing what this group is right now in terms of its four-down rush ability, that this group has got to be a group that manufactures pressure in terms of you know blitzing and bringing – you know, bringing unique blitz scheming uh, to each and every single week. Is that the way that they're going to have to get this done? I don't know. Not necessarily. I mean, here's the thing. We talked to Jaron Reed last year, and after the the 49er game in which they got 10 hits on the quarterback and five sacks, I asked him what the difference was, and he goes, they turned us loose. So, you know, I, I don't know if, if maybe they're not, you know, trying to hit gaps and maybe they're doing a little bit of two gap where you play a guy head up and then, you know, all of a sudden you have to decide if it's a pass or run, then you start your pass rush. And so you're late. Um, you know, there's things like that, that, that sometimes go on and, and will cause a problem in your pass rush. But, you know, I think being creative is probably going to be something they're going to do anyway, because you have, I think Jake, the, the best, blitzing uh, linebacker in the league in Bobby Wagner. And then you got Jamal Adams, who who is really good. So And KJ can rush a little bit as well, and we'll see what happens with the kid, Jordan Brooks. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, they probably will have to manufacture those things, but I don't think that's a bad thing, and I think it was going to be part of it anyway. What goes into being mm-hmm. creative? Obviously, that's very complex to try to explain to someone who doesn't play but when i think being creative i just think oh okay so you're you're blitzing guys you wouldn't normally blitz you're you're using small yeah. atoms but but what does it actually mean to like get more creative on defense it, you you come from different places you know and jake probably answer this better than i can because you know you, you, like a zone blitz is where a lineman will line up on the on the line of scrimmage and then all of a sudden he'll drop back into coverage where it looks like he's going to 
you know, rush the quarterback. And then all of a sudden he's dropping into coverage and then you're bringing a safety somewhere. And so, you know, and even those can be like four man, five man rushes, not like, you know, sell the farm type of, you know, taking, bringing seven guys or something like that. You can do that kind of creatively, just trying to surprise the offensive line. I guess that's the way I would put it. How about you, Jake? Yeah, I would definitely put it in that way. And really in a, in a, fire zone scheme which is what the Seahawks are now trying to do in a lot of different ways is is you have to have three underneath defenders and you have to have three people deep that's typically what you see from a fire zone type of defense Um, but as Dave described it you are trying to disguise who is coming from where and that is lining guys up in different spots. So if you notice Bobby Wagner, sometimes he's going to be head up over the center. Sometimes he's going to be lined up in a guard gap or Jamal Adams is going to be lined up on the outside to the left or right or in the middle. You're just trying to grab eyes of the offensive line. And along with that, you're using twists and stunts uh, by your defensive linemen. So it's just a, it's, it's not your typical way of your normal way of just, Hey, we're going to rush our down linemen. And they're going to go from point A to point B and try and beat the guy in front of them. They're going to try and create confusion, which uh, would then allow someone to come open. And it happened multiple times in this game. And I do agree with Pete Carroll that there were some missed opportunities out there in terms of getting sacks. I mean, the one that stands out to me was Jamal Adams. It worked out perfectly where K.J. Wright and Jamal Adams are the ones that are bringing the pressure. The the offensive line is confused by it, and the running back's confused by it. So an offensive lineman and a running back go to pick up K.J. Wright where they then you know turn loose Jamal Adams. So that confusion leaves a wide-open player to get to the quarterback. Now he's just got to finish his job. So I, I think they've done a pretty good job of this the first two weeks um, and. The only time it becomes concerning is when they get in those two-minute modes, Dave, where you're not in that mode and ability where you can bring that type of pressure. you got to rely more on your four down linemen to to facilitate that. Now, is this something where through two games you've seen way more creativity where it's starting to look like they're heading in a different direction, or is this something – they're also doing in response to injuries and the in the lack of you know consistent press uh, pressure they've been able to bring. I mean, is it a mix of both a little bit? Is it just you have to get creative when when what you've been doing isn't working? Yeah, I feel like they're trying to use they're trying to get the best players on the field and they're trying to use them in the the best way they possibly can. Yeah. So yeah, the things with Jamal That's Adams, a good way I don't. To put it. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you would stop doing what you're doing with him, right? I mean, yeah. he's got tackles for loss, and, you know, he almost had a, a another sack, you know, so he's got two now. So, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's going to be that. Get those guys on the field, the best group, because that's why they ran base last year, because they put their best group. They did not have a nickel cover guy. They just didn't. And so they put linebackers out there and ran zone and less man-to-man coverage because they thought they – and I, I agreed with them. I thought they had the best – players on the field Kendricks was was better than any uh, defensive back that they had that they would put in as a nickel player so now I mean your strength and unfortunately um, it's down one player with Marquise Blair which is just such a shame but you know your your best players are defensive backs on this field and I think Ugo Amadi proved that because he had a really mm-hmm. good camp too and when your second string guy comes in and gets eight tackles the way he did then yeah you, you've got a deep group there All right, we've been able to get a hold of LJ Collier off of the practice field. LJ, how are you? 
Oh, LJ, do we have you? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Um, just just quickly, I have to ask you, can you walk us through that goal line stop? Um, I know you can't tell us everything, but can you take us back to that moment, what you heard, what you saw, what it was like? Uh, man, we had got back to the to the huddle. Bobby told us that we were going to be slanting on that one because uh, we've been goal on a few times that day, and they didn't change up what they were going to run. So we slanted, and I happened to be there, and I seen Cam coming, and Leno made a good uh, – he set the edge on the outside, and I just happened to make a good play. It was just really a good team effort. LJ, is it still Rip or Liz, or what? what's your code word for, for slanting? <laughs> yeah, it was just Rip. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, things haven't changed in what, what's it been twenty five years for me now. So, but uh, I, I love that. I'm so happy for you, LJ. I I had a similar uh, rookie year where I was injured. I was only in on a few tackles. I was starting to question myself. I came back my second year, and everything just clicked for me, and it happened. And I see that that happening to you, um, and really happy for you to kind of explain how different it was coming back your second year. Uh, you know, it was different, you know, do with all the COVID stuff and all that. But I had a, the mindset in place. I was going to come out here. I wasn't going to get down on myself. And I was going to play hard every day. I, you know, I'm, I'm a year I'm a year in. I knew what to expect. I knew what we were going to be doing. I knew what I needed to fix. And I tried to fix those things the best I could. You know, LJ, it's it's really been fun to watch you affect the game in different ways. You know, week one, uh, you're able to... Uh, deflect the chop block that was at your legs. You handle that really well. You're able to get to Matt Ryan and, and force him to make a poor decision. Um, uh, and then, you know, this this past week, you, you have a batted ball, and then you're able to, uh, you know, make the, the goal line stand and help be a part of that moment. You know, what are all those things being attributed to? Is that individual work that you put in this offseason? Is it, you know, working with Clint Hurd? Is it, you know, the other guys around you that have helped, you know, mentor you along the way? What what would you attribute that to? I attribute it to my work in the offseason. I really just worked on getting my weight down, everything like that, working on my get off my hands and everything like that. And, yes, Coach Hurd has helped me a lot, too, as well, with our staying, coming in, him and Coach D. Lou, before coming out after practice and before – working hands and things like that. and It's really been a big help. Hey, LJ, uh, that celebration afterwards, it would have been really cool if the fans had all been there and everything, but you guys made a good amount of noise down there. Talk about, uh, you know, Jamal Adams and some of the veterans and the enthusiasm. This, this looks like a fun group to play in your defense. Oh, yeah, Jamal, you know, Bobby, those guys, they bring a lot of energy. Bruce. They're talkative, they're loud, they're screaming. You know, it's fun to play on defense with these guys. It's been a fun year so far, and, you know, we're just getting started, so I'm, I'm eager to see where the rest of the season goes. <laughs> LJ, you guys are on preparation for the Dallas Cowboys now. What are, what have you guys been noticing about this group, and, and how excited are you guys for this, this matchup, your, your you know, NFC matchup? This, this is a big one. They're a talented football team all across the board. You know, great O-line. They have some injuries, but, you know, you still can't knock them for that. They're still a good football team. They have a great quarterback. They have a great receiving core, and they have a damn good running back. So we have to take this game seriously. You know, these guys come here, we have to play every down hard, and we have to know what to expect because this isn't going to be a pushover game. They're still a talented football team, and we've got to have our minds right. LJ, how do you feel like the defensive line is coming along in general? I feel like we're coming along fine. I feel like we're going to – people are really down on us right now, but I feel like we're going to come along, especially this week. I feel like we're going to put some things together and we're going to get some rushes this week. 
get some sacks out there, and we're going to put it up there. I feel like when it all comes down to it in the season, we're going to do what we need to do, and it's going to all play out. So you definitely feel like there's just there's more here that you guys haven't seen. Yeah, I, I for sure. I feel like we haven't cracked the surface on how good we can be. We're still all figuring each other out and everything like that, but you know, with the not being able to come in for OTAs and yeah. some workouts and stuff like that, so no we're going to get it together. Yeah, LJ, you you chopped down one of the hugest running backs in NFL history. I, I've been down on the field and seen Cam Newton uh, walk around. That guy is enormous, and what's he like on the field? I asked Lano Hill the same question just because. He, he he seems like he's a little bit calmer. He didn't seem to talk a whole lot, but man, that guy is just a monster. Oh yeah, he's talkative. He's a hell of a player, man, and uh, he's active. He's energetic. He brings his guys along. They like him. He likes them. You know, he's in the position he's in for a reason. You know, he's a good player, hell of an athlete. LJ, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much. No, thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see if we can get a hold of Jacob Hollister. Uh, if not, let's get back to just doing one final preview of this game. This is the huddle. This is the huddle every Thursday from noon to two on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps and Stacey Rost joining us now. Tight end Jacob Hollister. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us. I have to ask just how you felt in that moment uh, during that last second win on Sunday. That was wild. Yeah, that was uh, obviously a really close game and came down to the wire. I was just excited because our defense just did did a great job there. But, um, yeah, I was just excited. It was an awesome moment. Hey, Jacob, I want to ask real quick, uh, how's your twin brother, Cody, doing? Is he still with Oh, uh, man, he's doing good. Yeah, he's, uh, he's still over with the Titans. He started the year off on the 53, and then he got released. He, he signed back with their practice squad again. So he's over there. He's doing well, and um, he's loving it over in Nashville. Good, good deal. Glad to hear that. Hey, uh, tell us, what's that like going against your, your former team? I mean, it was crazy, honestly, because it's been, obviously, I didn't play him last year. Um, and just seeing a bunch of those guys that I spent two years with, um, along with the coaches and you know, it was a different different experience for sure, but I thought it was pretty cool getting to face guys like uh, Matthew Slater and a lot of these guys that I played with for a while. So it was pretty cool. Hey, Jacob, I haven't had a chance to talk with you in a little while. What was this offseason like for you as you were, you know, getting prepared in, in, in the most unique circumstances possible? I'm sorry, I missed you there. What'd you say? Oh, that's okay. I was asking, what was it like for you getting prepared for this season uh, under the most unique circumstances possible? Yeah, honestly, for me, it was awesome because I was back in uh, Bend, Oregon, just one of the best places on earth. <laughs> and me and my brother were just um, renting a house over there. And, and once all the quarantine stuff happened, we just, uh, our, our, bo- our trainer over there, Kevin Boss, um, he let us just take whatever equipment we wanted and we put it in our garage over there. And, I mean, that was a lot of fun for us. It took us back to the Juco days or Arizona Western. We're just making some of our workouts and doing some of the workouts that boss had for us and, um, still getting all our work done, uh, during the day. So it was a lot of fun, honestly. And then obviously being in Bend, Oregon, um, there's a lot to do outdoors and all that. So it was really a great time just getting to spend it with my sisters and my brother and my family over there. You all as an offense as a whole have just 
you just look like you're in the zone for the first two weeks. I mean, everything, you know, at least from the outside, looks like it's firing on all cylinders. How does it feel being out there? I mean, is it just like a, a great off season? I mean, how have these first two weeks felt like for just the entire offense? Yeah, I think that um, what what's spotlighted is just the communication. Uh, we've had a lot of opportunity this off season to, to have really good communication. I think that was part of, having those zoom meetings because we had, we really had more meeting time than we usually would have had uh, in a regular OTAs and all that. So uh, guys got to communicate a lot um, and share information. And, and I think that's just relaying to the field now. Hey Jacob, uh, Russell just gets better and better every year. Uh, what, what have you noticed about his growth? Uh, one thing, it seems like he's got a little bit more zip. Uh, on his fastball, but, you know, he's probably always thrown it, obviously thrown it well, but uh, what are some of the things that you've seen him improve in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, that's what's crazy about about Russ is, you know, right when you think that he can't get much better, he's, he's getting better, and yeah. I think that just goes to say that he's he really takes no days off, and he puts every single moment that he can into football, and, um, you know, that's the reason that he's the best in the game right now is because he's just, uh, he works at it every single day, and he really just wastes no time. You know, there's been talk about, you know, him uh, really from from my co-host here, Stacy. You know, saying that Russell looks like he's playing with a little bit more fire, a little bit more intensity, maybe a little bit more anger. Uh, does it feel that way to you guys in the building, or is it just Russ being Russ? Um, it just it just seems like he's playing with a little bit more intensity uh, just in the, in the approach that he has uh, with, you know, not just, you know, the media or the public, but uh, behind closed doors as well. Yeah. From my perspective, you know, he's always had that. And, and uh, you know, he's definitely just playing with a ton of passion uh, this year. I've obviously only been here for, you know, a year and a half now, but um, the passion that he plays with just really brings guys along because, um, even even a guy who's not feeling it so much that day, you can't you can't help but to feel it when Russ is in the huddle and, and playing with a lot of passion. You see in his eyes, so he really uh, you know that's the most impressive part is that he brings so many guys along with him. Hey Jake, what was it like playing without fans? I feel like watching it, you kind of forgot, but I can't imagine what it was like for you guys. Yeah, it was. I think the the only weird part is when there's just complete silence, like yeah. there's a there's a turn in, uh, you know, a turn in downs or whatever, uh, from, or a rollover from special teams to offense or whatever. Um, I don't really realize it too much until, um, until that moment or when someone scores. Cause obviously when someone scores, you're used to people right. just going crazy, but that's what's so cool about our team is everybody has so much energy on the sidelines where you still feel that. So it's pretty cool, but definitely, uh, definitely miss having those, those fans out there. Are you able to pick up like uh, calls? I mean, there's there's things on the field now that are being said that you can hear now, right? I mean, and you have to. Do you guys kind of have to disguise some of your stuff because of that? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, you just got to be smart about it and uh, communication with signals and and just uh, making sure that we're on top of everything. But yeah, at the same time, it's been nice as an offense just being able to um, hear communication really well, uh, not only with Russ but with the O line and everything. So um, that's been awesome. All right, Jacob. Jacob, I just said one one quick thing. Jacob, I I know and saw that you posted something in in during quarantine that you're uh, you doing some collabs in in terms of singing and playing music. How how what? big a part of that is is part of your life? 
It's a huge part. Yeah, I started um, I started playing guitar uh, two years ago. My brother, my brother Cody, uh, started playing a couple years before me, and uh, he started teaching me a couple years ago. And you know, music's always been a part of our life. Uh, my dad, you know, it all started with my dad uh, just singing, singing us kids to sleep pretty much every night, and uh, playing guitar. And um, so we've always sang and, and been a part of that, but. But yeah, music's definitely a, a really big part of my life and really my whole family. Obviously, my brother and my sisters too. But um, you know, that's that's a credit to my brother pushing me there. And, and now I just I love it. I love playing guitar. I love you know writing songs and all that. Man, that's a really cool skill to have too. Like I'm I'm very jealous. Not even hiding any of that. <laughs> all right, Jacob, thank you, you so much for joining us. Yeah, exactly. I should give it a shot. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, I appreciate. it. Thanks for having me. All right, this has been The Huddle. Um, Dave, we're kicking you out. Okay, if you must. <laughs> just, just for an hour, though. Uh, Dave will be back for Bob, Dave, and more at 3 p.m. Tom, Jake, and Stacy is next. This has been The Huddle.